this morning we're continuing on in Acts. So, if you have a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to Acts 6, which is what I will do now, we are going to read from verse 8, and we're going to read all the way through to the end of the chapter in verse 15. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking about this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Right. So, what's been happening in Acts so far, up until this point, is we see a small group of people gathered together. We see the Spirit poured out upon them. And we see the church kind of explode in numbers. It grows hugely. And then we start to see some persecution coming in of, say, the leaders of the church getting arrested. And then last week when Dan was preaching, we saw actually some of the practical issues beginning to come up. And that was actually when we were first introduced to Stephen. So when it came to serving the people of the church, serving the church, Stephen is identified by the church as someone who is full of the spirit and full of faith. And he is selected by the church to actually help serve the widows and, and bless them. And then we get to this point here, where it's the continuation of the Stephen thread in Acts. And this is all part of the bigger picture of what is going on in Acts and actually what will continue on in Acts later on. But what we see in, in this small section is we see conflict starting. We see real conflict between the church and we see conflict between the Jewish believers. So this morning we're going to look at actually how do the Jews react to challenge? How does Stephen react to challenge? And then we're going to look at a bit of an application for us. But firstly, we need to kind of understand how challenge has arisen. Stephen has been living out his faith. He's been living out his faith quite visibly. Uh, the fact that the church selects him uh, as one of the seven who are filled with the Spirit and full of faith, they know that Stephen is, he's the guy, you know, they're given the criteria, the, the apostles give the criteria for who they want, and they go, Stephen, he's the man. So, he has been living out his faith in Jesus quite visibly. Now, at that time, the church was still a very Jewish thing. It, it wasn't that the church had separated from, from Judaism, actually, in those first decades, the, the church was still part of the Jewish culture, the Jewish people. It, it was still, certainly at this time in Acts, very Jewish. 
And so what would happen is the church would actually meet in synagogues. They, they would be meeting there, and so they'd be, they'd be a visible part of the Jewish people. And so Stephen, living out his faith, is, he's not doing it in, in isolation. He's not taking a step back from, from culture. He's not taking a step back from society to live out in the hills. He is living out his faith in Jesus, in amongst the Jewish people, in the synagogues. And uh, for those of you who actually don't know what a synagogue is, a synagogue was a place where Jewish people met together that was apart and aside from the temple. They would meet to, to listen to scripture, they'd meet to be taught, and they'd gather together as community. That's because although the temple was the central part of Jewish religion, it's where everyone would go for festivals or they'd gather together, it wasn't big enough to hold the whole Jewish nation. And so to gather together, to, to listen, to be taught, they needed other buildings, other meeting places, uh, kind of like this one, I guess, um, where apart from the temple, they could gather as a Jewish people. And what you'd often find happening then is you'd find people with things in common would start their own synagogues. So we, we get a list here of the people who start opposing Stephen. And those are the freedmen, who were people who were previously slaves of the Romans and had got their freedom. We've got the people from the Cyrene in Alexandria, which is North Africa. Um, they had a slightly different theological approach from Jews in Jerusalem. So they were probably going to meet together and you know, keep their company. And then the, the Jews from Cilicia and Asia, which is kind of modern-day Turkey. So they all had things in common. They'd have their own synagogues because... You know, they'd meet with people they wanted to know. But at this time, what we've seen at Pentecost is actually Jews from all over the world came and they heard the gospel of Christ preached. They believed and then they went out and they would have lived in their synagogues. And they'd have lived out their lives in full view of their Jewish brethren. So, I'm sorry, history lecture done. Um, <laughs> What we hear about Stephen then, as, as a man full of the Spirit, as a man full of faith, he's performing great wonders, and God is using him to perform great wonders and miracles. If that was happening in that culture, people are going to ask, what is going on? What authority or what power does Stephen have in order to do this? People are going to be noticing what... God is doing through Stephen. And so the challenge comes when Jesus, when Stephen speaks of Jesus, when Stephen demonstrates the power of Jesus, when Stephen shows how Jesus has changed things in the midst of a challenging culture. The fact that Jesus fulfilled the law, the fact that he's fulfilled the prophets, the fact that the law isn't enough to save you, it is a challenge and was a challenge to the Jewish belief system. Now, there's an, there's an interesting fact that I heard. That is, if someone challenges a strongly held view that you have, your body reacts in the same way as if you were punched in the face. 
okay? So the fight or flight instinct, the adrenaline kicks in. Punch you in the face, that happens. I challenge a strongly held view, the same response happens. And so, for instance, if I was to say to you now that it has been scientifically proven and mandated that from this point forward, pineapple has to be on pizza. There will be some people here ready to run out the door. The fight or flight instinct has kicked in um, or you know, ready to take a swing at me. Um, <laughs> but something, you know, it's fair, that was, that, that was, that was the most, one of the most decisive thing, divisive things I could think of. The other one was potentially that um, it's been proven that the new Star Wars films are better than the old ones, but we all know that's a horrible lie and not true. Um, so I couldn't even do it as an illustration. But, um, strongly held beliefs being challenged, they lead us to have a physiological response. They lead us to react. And... What we see, actually, in this passage is, is we, see, we see two different ways of reacting to challenge. We see Stephen's way and we see the Jews' way. So we're going to start with, with actually how the Jews and the Jewish leaders responded to Stephen. First off, then, we see that when the opposition arose, they were probably debating in verses 9. Opposition arose however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So they are being challenged. They're being challenged by having Stephen among them. They're being challenged by the work of the Spirit through Stephen. And they're being challenged by the wisdom that the Spirit gives Stephen. When they're arguing about theological points, why are they trying to say to Stephen, you are wrong? The power of the Spirit is working and giving Stephen wisdom so that they can't argue with him. He, his responses are coming back and, and people aren't being convinced by the arguments the Jewish leaders are putting forward. And so they go for plan B. So plan A, argue, and it pretty rapidly escalates to kill him. Okay, that, that, that's, that seems to be the two steps. It is a fight response, most definitely. And uh, if you don't believe me about the whole killing me thing, you know, things maybe in chapter 7 just go away with them. This is their plan, okay? So they, in verse 11, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And in uh, verse 13, they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Blasphemy in the Jewish religion was a big thing, okay? You don't, you don't accuse someone of blasphemy lightly, and you know where it ends up. Okay, Leviticus 24, 15 to 16 says this. Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreigner or native born. When they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. They know what they're doing. You accuse Stephen of blasphemy. You know which way it's going, especially if you whip up the people and the religious leaders. 
Plan B is very definitely wipe them out. Now, again, back in those days, you couldn't just go killing people, okay? It, you know, we, we might think it was a bit, a, a bit more violent back in Roman times, but you can't just go executing people. There were still royals, there were still laws. What's interesting is the Romans actually found the Jewish religion quite an, an interesting, uh, well, an interesting religion, an interesting belief system. The fact that there was one God, the fact that it wasn't this pantheon of gods who were very human, like actually it was a, it was a wholly separate God. They found this uh, Jewish curiosity and they gave quite a lot of freedom to the Jewish religion. In fact, they gave enough freedom that they could fulfill their blasphemy laws. They could kill someone on religious grounds without Roman authority if they could justify it. And so, again, you accuse Stephen of blasphemy. It is something that they can deal with internally. And uh, a spoiler for next week, Stephen does get stoned. Um, to be fair, I'm going to trespass a lot on next week, and Rich isn't here, so he can deal with that when he listens to this. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Um, So yeah, so their, their approach to challenge, their approach to facing Jesus working in Stephen is uh, get rid of him. It is kill him. It is a fight response. They've had the punch in the face from Stephen living his life, and their response is kill him. But I think, I think we need to step back a little bit and just see quite how messed up this is. Um, so in, in order to protect their belief system and their way of life, they break it, okay? In the Ten Commandments, I think it's commandment number eight, Exodus twenty sixteen, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So what they do is they go, gosh, the Spirit is working in Stephen. All these people are beginning to believe. We have to preserve our way of life and our belief system. And in order to do that, we're going to break our belief system. We're going to break the law in order to preserve the law. It, it doesn't make sense. It is, it is a broken system if that is what you need to do. It is a culture and a society that are broken if they feel that they... That's what they need to do. In fact, part of what Jesus did when he was walking amongst them, and actually what Stephen does in, in the next chapter, is he talks about how they've strayed away from the meaning of the law. The Pharisees were known for building rule upon rule upon rule to kind of maintain the serious laws, and then you get extra laws just to make sure you don't get close to those serious laws. And then you can step even further away by even more little rules and it overburdened people. They'd stepped away from the purpose of the law. And certainly when they think they have to break the law in order to preserve it. They very much came out swinging. They were going for it. That is how they dealt with challenge. Not, not great. Um, so let's move on to Stephen. Stephen had been testifying in the synagogues. He'd been living out a visible, real, genuine faith. And it challenged people. 
he actually, he argued with them as well. He discussed, he discussed his faith and relied on the Spirit. He's also now had people lying about him, false witnesses saying that this is what Stephen said when he didn't. And how does he respond? Well, firstly, they all look at him and he has, he has a face like an angel. Um, well, what on earth does, does that mean? What did he, you know, did he look young? Um, did he, you know, just... Actually, I think there's a sense of holiness about that. The fact that he looks like an angel, it's that sense of closeness to God. Um, and a lot of commentators say that there are similarities. It brings reminders of when Moses went up the mountain and came back down, the fact they had to veil his face because of the glory that shone. And the same as, as Jesus at the transfiguration, the way that he was close to God and so radically transformed that he glowed. There's that sense with Stephen at this moment of the spirit being with him. And that is the sense of that, that face of an angel, that, that calm that, you know, you, you can't imagine much else when he's talking about being the face like an angel. That calmness, that closeness, that trust in God. Then, as I start my trespass into chapter 7 completely, uh, what we see next week, uh, what you'll see, is Stephen then confronts the religious leaders. He doesn't just remain silent, but at the same time, he doesn't lash out. In truth, he tells them where they are. He tells them how they've strayed from the purpose of the law and how they need to come back, how they need to see Jesus. He also asks God to forgive them as they stone him. His response to challenge was both loving, it was spirit-filled, and it was also challenging to them. I find it, I find it interesting that the wisdom that the Spirit gave Stephen did not lead him away from conflict. Often we think the wise thing to do is just to, just to step back. Let's not say anything. Let's just not make a fuss. But actually, the wisdom that, that God gave Stephen led him down this path, which ultimately led to his death. So... We've seen, we've seen two different responses to challenge. So how does this affect us? What does this mean to us? Now, if we were maybe taking these verses purely in isolation, we could say, um, between the two responses of kill someone or look angelic, it's going to be pretty obvious which way we go. And, and to be fair, it still remains pretty obvious which way we go um, if these verses aren't in isolation. But... The response could be, be like Stephen. When you're challenged, sit quietly, look angelic, life's good, you know. But actually, when we look at the wider verses, when we look at the next chapter, when we look at the rest of Acts, that's not really the application. The application is actually, it's a challenge for us to live 
a radical faith that challenges the world, a radical faith that is spirit-filled so that our lives and even ultimately our deaths glorify God and serve him. So yeah, actually, ultimately, we want to be like Stephen. We want to be spirit-filled. We want to have that face of an angel because we are so close to God. It isn't about us just biting our tongue. It's about following God. It's about living completely all out for him. Now, Stephen, what we see with Stephen is we see a man who lived out an active, passionate, spirit-filled faith in the midst of a culture that was hostile to his beliefs. And if you want to draw an easy parallel to now, I think we have it there. If we want to live a spirit-filled, faith-filled, bold, loud faith, then we are doing it in a culture that is going to be hostile to us. Our current society does not like an absolute truth. It does not like that we believe that right and wrong is greater than some self-determined thing. Our culture does not want to accept that it will be judged for how it acts. That actually views on abortion are greater than just how we feel or how that makes us feel or what is necessarily free. It's actually related to to an absolute moral truth in God. These are things that we will clash with our culture on. And ultimately, this isn't about, uh, this isn't about side things. It is about the central belief of our faith, that Jesus is the way to the Father, that actually there is, there is no way to God except through him. It's not about actually, you can be good enough, and that is, that is good enough. You know, you can be good, you can do nice things, and God will like you. Actually, it's about faith in Jesus, and that is the only way. And our society, actually, in the same way that we see that, that the culture of the Jewish leaders was broken because they had to break the rules in order to try and preserve the rules, our society is also broken. Our society preaches tolerance. And by doing that is outrageously intolerant to those who don't agree with their tolerance. It is, it is, it is broken so that if, if you don't have the same views as the mainstream, you are not tolerated. You are pushed to the side. Our society, our world, our culture needs God. It does need Jesus. It needs a church living radically, a church living with the miraculous. I, I, I found it interesting the other week. Um, both, both Will Smith and I shared about how God had performed miraculous things in each of our lives. And um, I don't know if you're, in fact, friends with Aaron Edwards on Facebook, but... Um, it's, it's a great spectator sport. 
Uh, I'm sorry, Aaron. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but it is brilliant. Aaron, Aaron loves to chuck the odd kind of grenade in Facebook. So he, will, he put a post on about the miraculous, about these things that occurred. And the responses he gets... Uh, your keyboard warriors start typing away full of anger. How can God perform a, a minor miracle and not, you know, fix the world? Well, you know, he has. Jesus came. You know, God provided a way. But actually, it's incredible how much God working amongst his people is just offensive to the world. And so I love, I love seeing what Aaron writes. And I, again, it's a spectator sport. I sit back and let him do it. Um, but it is fantastic, and it's so interesting to see how it just offends people to the core that we believe in a God who is real, a God who changes things today, a God who holds people accountable and will hold people accountable. So the challenge is for us, I think the challenge is to live with that faith. Let us, you know, let us be expectant of God working amongst us, of performing the miraculous, of, of us living in a way that challenges the world. But well, I think, you know, we have to be mindful of how we do this. We, we have to be mindful of how we are. I, I think in the same way as Stephen, I think often we, as Christians, can slip to extremes. So, one side, we have those who, uh, when it comes to the confrontation, are very much, you know, we want, we want to, we're just going to throw the first punch. We're going to go in swinging. We're going to love the world by telling them the truth. And we have no compassion about how we do that. We have no compassion about the fact that, you know, people are being challenged. People's emotions may get hurt. They just need to hear the pure truth, and we're going to take them down with it. And then we kind of, we have the other extreme. Uh, for some reason over here, uh, where actually it's, we're so compassionate, but we don't really want to hurt people's feelings. So I'm not going to tell someone about sin. I'm not going to tell someone there's a right and wrong. What we're going to do is we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going to love them. And by loving them means I'm not going to ever confront them and I'm going to bake them cakes. You know, and, and so, and don't get me wrong, sometimes those two extremes work. Sometimes people come to Christ because someone's come out swinging and that's challenged them, or someone's baked them cakes for the last 10 years and they're now fat and loving Jesus. You know, it's, but really, I think we have to be wise in in how we approach this. In, In the middle, I think loving people is telling them the truth, but it's also walking with people. It's having relationship. It's being able to, to love people by telling them what's wrong in their life, but having an arm around them as well, because we're here with you. And to be fair, that that goes on in the life of the church as well. You know, we should be able to admonish one another, speak truth into one another's lives if, if something's not right. But at the same time, we do it because we're putting an arm around each other. We're loving each other. It's part of a community looking for sanctification together moving towards what God has planned for us. And actually, being a church, living out radical faith, it means we're not doing it on our own. Don't feel that this call to living out the miraculous means 
goodness me, I, I, you know, if I'm not seeing two healings in the next week, I have failed in my faith. No, it's about us as a body. I, I, I quite enjoy being able to go into work and, and tell people, actually, what's, what's happened amongst us. It's not just about what's happened in my life. Actually, you know, someone at church was healed. It's a bit of a challenge to the world. It's not me necessarily being healed, but about us as a body. We are in it together. We are living out this faith in, in Jesus. We're confronting a world. If anyone walks in here and doesn't know him, they should be hit by that. And I know they will be. So how do we, how do we live out our faith? We, we do good. We feed widows. We, we show them Christ. 1 Peter 3, 15, 16 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. <laughs> What did Stephen do, really? He fed widows. He looked after the vulnerable, those who needed it. And he spoke for Christ. He stood up. He didn't back down. He confronted a world that needed confronting. The challenge for us is, is to live a life. But dare I say it also, to die a death. To live the, the full spectrum of life where what we do challenges the world, but also ultimately how we die challenges the world because our view of death, sorry, this is a huge tangent, but I just, you know, I'm going to go with it. Our view of death is different to that of the world around us because we do not live without hope. We, we believe in an eternity. We believe that Jesus has saved us for something. And then so as we approach, as we approach the end, as God has led us through our life, we trust and we believe that not just the life we've lived, but the death we die is used by him for the, his glory. And it, we see it in Stephen, actually, that from this point, at the end of chapter 7, when Stephen dies persecution comes on the church and the church spreads out into the world and it and the gospel spreads multiple thousands and thousands of people are saved because God has used Stephen's life and his death it is you know we're living for something more and the world the culture doesn't get that we're living for what God saved us into. And why, why should we do this? Because it, it, it's not about us making loads of effort as if we can, we can rally it up. You know, you know, we can't clap loud enough that people are healed. It's, it's not an effort thing, but actually it is a, it is a knowing God thing. Why did Stephen go through this? Because he knew and loved Jesus. What causes us to live 
a challenging life. When in reality, the easy thing is, let's be quiet. Let's not cause trouble. Let's not respond. Actually, it's because we love Jesus. And we know that the only hope for a dying and lost world is that they know Jesus too. People are going to be offended by the cross. They're going to be offended by the fact that they can't do it. And only God, who's done it for us, can save us. So I, you know, I believe that God wants to do the miraculous amongst us. It's not just for back then. In fact, we can hear testimonies. I share one myself about how God works today. I want to encourage us to have faith that God still does that. Actually, um, maybe just a story that encourages you. My, um, my father-in-law retired recently from, from being an elder, and he decided what to do, uh, what he was going to do is do a bit of the coast-to-coast walk. So he set off. In, uh, in the Lake District in Cumbria. And as he was walking up a hill, he met a bloke who, and he got chatting, and this bloke had a bit of a bad back. And so my father-in-law just prayed for him. And nothing much really happened straight away. Now, what happened is, as my father-in-law and this bloke were coming down the hill, my mum and my mother-in-law were walking up the hill to kind of meet them, and so they had a bit of a chat, and then that was that. Three weeks later, my mum went for a walk in the Lake District, um, and it was about 30 miles away from where that original walk had happened. Now, her usual parking space had been taken up, so she had to find a random lay-by to park in. And as she parked in this lay-by, this bloke appeared out of the woods. It was the same bloke who they'd met three weeks earlier on a hilltop. And they got chatting, and the guy goes, you know what? I've not had a bad back for the last three weeks. Um, but, and all of a sudden, this guy's going to go, he realizes that since being prayed for, his back has been healed. And then, unfortunately, they go on the merry way, and, you know, maybe in another few months, we'll meet that guy again. But actually, God, God is at work. God is real, and God can heal his spirit is with us. And so I think our challenge in this is to love God, love Jesus more. Be expectant for him to impact and change lives. And be expectant for him to impact and change a world that needs to be changed.